Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series dedicated to helping us talk more openly about money. Each show features a special guest who will share with you one of their favorite money myths. Then together, we will discuss how to bust that myth wide open. My name is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I am your host. My company is KBK Wealth Connection, and it's committed to helping women, couples, families, and their financial team shatter money taboos and learn how to effectively talk about money. Today, it's an honor to be joined by Chris Venn. Let me tell you a little bit about Chris, and then we'll have him join the call. Chris is a partner at The Legacy Companies, a Boston-based consulting and training firm that helps top financial advisors evolve their businesses by transforming how they engage with wealth holders. Although Chris has been an entrepreneur for his entire career, he started by being trained to protect royalty, heads of state, and business leaders by former members of the British SAS. He brings the same precision, discipline, and clarity to his work in business and with his clients. So I am thrilled, I met Chris a couple years ago, um, to welcome Chris to the call. So good to be here, Kathleen. And uh, yeah, it's been a couple of years since we've had some had some time to work together, but it's a pleasure being connected again. So thanks for inviting me. Oh, no problem. So I'm really curious to delve into this myth that you've provided today. The myth that you wanted to kind of look at is money is a sign of how many people you've helped. So tell me a little bit about what motivated you to pick that myth to explore today. Yeah, actually, interesting question, because that myth was one that... um, that I actually deliberately picked back in the day when I decided to uh, pick some beliefs about about money. The the fun thing about myth is uh, myth is always a blend of uh, truth and story, um, and story could be code for BS or not true or whatever <laughs> it is, right? But it's there's a portion of it that has truth to it, and sometimes there's a portion that doesn't. And uh, um, and so when I picked that one, it's not because I thought it was necessarily all true, and that's the way the world works. But it had enough truth in it uh, to to make it one that I thought was going to work for me and was going to have an impact. And and really, I had to pick it because I didn't have a uh, I didn't have good reference points about money um, when I was growing up. So I'm Canadian, and when I was growing up, um, literally half our floor had a dirt had a, it was made of dirt. And uh, so when people talk about being dirt poor, I actually get that. Yeah. And dirt poor in Canada is not cool in the winter. Not a good thing. Mm, sounds um, very cold. Yeah, it was cold. And uh, and so I didn't have a lot of good reference points. I had a fantastic family, loving family, but not a family that had a, a great reference points about money. And uh, and when I started, when I ended up doing executive protection, I, I was taking care of these ridiculously wealth, wealthy people. And so it was quite a contrast from from what I thought about money. And I started looking at how people were behaving and literally selected a belief of money's a sign of how many people you've helped. Now, I think that that can be true and it's not always true. That's so, so fascinating. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your background because it really kind of gives a context to this particular myth. Now, you said something that I totally believe that there's always a little bit of truth Uh, in a myth or there's a way in which it helps us and sometimes there's a way in which it gets in the way. So um, can you tell me a little bit about how you think this myth might help you and then, um, you know, how it might get in the way either for you personally or I know you work with lots of people professionally uh, around looking at uh, money and success. Yeah, sure. Um, 
in terms of how it's helped, it's been it's been fantastic um, in a bunch of ways. One is that it's a very positive belief. You know, hey, money's a sign of how many people you've helped. So it's if you're going to have a reference point about money, that's kind of one that's smiley and positive and contributing in the world and and potentially a little bit naive as well. Um, but part of what I've seen uh, true through each of the companies that I've had or been a part of through the years is it, quite frankly. Anytime I haven't had enough money or I've wanted to create more money, my immediate question is, who else can I help? And when we come when we come at things with a helping spirit and a helping heart, and also with the ability and the skills to actually make a difference and help somebody else out, um, you know, money flows to purpose, which might be another myth, actually. Um, but it, it, it moves toward that, and it creates opportunities to help out. And the more, the more that you can help, the bigger the opportunity that can, that can be there, and the bigger the company can be, and the bigger the impact in other people's lives, and the longer it can echo forward into time. And we see this with financial advisors that we work with. When they are even more helpful with their wealth holders, they tend to have a tighter relationship, they tend to do better business, it tends to last longer, things like that. So it definitely helps. You know, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in oh, real yeah. quick because my reaction is: first of all, that I love this money myth. I, I might have to adopt it. I'm not sure it's a myth uh, <laughs> it's because always- <laughs> it's helpful. But the reason that I, it's resonating with me, I think, has to do with a lot of the women that I've worked with who have been female entrepreneurs in the past mm-hmm. who have really struggled with selling. And so, when you're looking for money, instead of um, something that might be more negative, like I have to sell my soul to make money, right? To go to the extreme, right? It's right. like, wow, who can I help? And it has such a. You're right. It has a happy, smiley feel to it that then puts you in kind of a positive place as opposed to looking at it as somehow money is bad. So that that's really interesting to me. So do the second part. How does it get in the way or how might it trip somebody up? Sure. It's So there. I think that there are some benign ways to it. And I also think that there's some diabolical ways that it can trip people up. Uh, on the benign side of things, it's easy to want to just help so much that you don't end up invoicing. Um, um, Right. It's just easy to it's like, oh, I just care about these people and you connect with them and I just want to help. And karma will sort this out. Right. It'll it all comes back to you um, is, you know, is a is another belief. And I think energetically that there's 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 some value to that. Physics has some uh, has some pretty good rules about that. Um, However, it is easy to get to a spot where you're contributing so much that you're not actually taking care of the business of ensuring that the money is flowing as well. And, and, and there's a challenge that comes with that, and it's a little bit under the surface. And, and that's this, is that there, there's a time to do pro bono work. There's a time to be charitable. There's no question about that. Um, you know, philanthropy comes from philosanthropos, which means, you know, loving humanity. And, uh, and so that's good stuff. However... When you, when someone receives something of value and they don't pay for it. So if I go to a, if I go to a store and I receive them something of value, a bottle of water, and I don't pay for it, that's called theft. (laughs) So, so in our professional careers, what happens is when we impose helping on somebody else and we don't allow them to, to be in exchange with us, we actually make them the thief. We make them the bad guy. And there's a way in which if we actually really care about the uh, about the relationship and we care about the exchange of money and we and we care about the impact that we want to make, 
it's important to make sure that the money flows as well because otherwise the system's out of exchange and it's just a matter of time before somebody starts feeling bad about it. Either they do because you keep helping all the time and won't accept a, that same gift back or you because you keep helping but you never get anything out of it. It's a, I'm, I'm counting on karma to do that but karma's in front of me with a checkbook and I won't receive it. Um, so it's, I think there's a couple of ways that it can play. Now, do you actually see that play out in the financial services industry? Because having come from um, the healthcare industry and working with a lot of really kind, caring, almost sometimes too generous mental health professionals, you know, I saw that a lot. Um, mm. But do you see that in financial services as well? Yeah. And, it's, and what's interesting is I think a lot of people wouldn't expect to see that. However, I think a lot of people don't really know financial advisors. I think they know what they think they know about advisors, but they're, I, the vast, vast, vast majority of financial advisors who we work with um, have loving, giving, helpful hearts. Um, they want to make a difference, and they've learned uh, a skill set in the financial space, whether it's insurance or investment or in planning, um, long-term care, living benefits, whatever it is, where they can really make a difference in people's lives, and they w and they want to make that difference, and they can be well compensated for it. However, I'll also see a, a lot of those advisors where they have such a desire to do that, where they'll actually start doing planning and solving clients' problems before that client has even become a client. So before so, they've given permission to kind of go down that path with you. Right. And so it's like, yeah, I know Kathleen and I get what's going on for her. And, and, and so I'm going to start building a plan for her and I'll get more of the data later. And of course, they know they can't do the whole thing, but they start working on your behalf before you've even engaged. And, and by slowing down and sort of altering the conversation at the very beginning of the relationship, the advisor can make sure that the exchange is very clean because uh, what can happen is uh, is that some people, regardless of industry, will use reciprocity as a sales tool. And reciprocity has very, very simple rules. It says first you give, then you receive. Uh, the psychology of reciprocity says that it doesn't even matter if you like me or if you asked for, for my help. If I give to you, you owe me. And that plays out uh, across uh, around the world. Anthropologists have studied this all over the place, and you know, culture after culture, it's it's true that way. And so, what happens is that when the, and the risk is that when somebody helps out too much, you're creating emotional debt in the other person. And if you haven't designed that agreement up front, what happens is the other person starts feeling like, oh, no, I really owe them a lot. And so for an advisor, it may be that later on when they ask for the business to, to, to put a solution in place to really help that person, that they inadvertently created uh, a negative relationship uh, strain, tension that wasn't required, um, even though they still could have ended up in the same place. So by having good good dialogue and good a good exchange around how's the money going to flow what is our engagement here i'm going to help you in this way and i'm going to need you to help me this way back um if, if we avoid those conversations up front it actually creates more strain and tension later and that initial helping heart and helping goal that's there kind of gets tainted along the way yeah no i i've both seen that in the healthcare industry i've actually uh, had a situation with a CPA that I'm not sure if it was helping or his own um, money stuff. I think it might have mm. been his own money stuff. Maybe he was helping. That's a nicer way of putting at it. But uh, being <laughs> the person who was not billed but wanted to be billed, 
um, had to ask for the bill several times, it did create a, a real negative impression for me that could have probably cleared itself had we just discussed money up front. Um, yeah. So that, that's really fascinating. Now, is that the diabolical? Because I think that's going to be my word of the day, diabolical. <laughs> um, or is there more that can come uh, that's diabolical as a result of buying into this myth? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think the real diabolical part of uh, part of it is when um, is where it's used as a cover story, where it's it's not it's if it's not accompanied by a helping heart, um, then it starts to get I, I think you know <laughs> diabolical of the devil, right? <laughs> it's uh, I think it starts to get a little evil, where it's like yes, of course I'm here to help Kathleen, um, and it's framed in a certain way. But if that if the person's heart's not lined up that way, I think. Uh, I think it's a problem. It's, you know, it's in this conversation for the last couple of years um, around what's the source of all problems. And it was just more of a rhetorical exploring kind of question, but I don't care what the problem is. If it's health, fitness, money, relationship, work, whatever, what's the source of all problems? And uh, in some conversations with a few people, we, we kind of got it down to two things. And it's your proximity. So the first is your proximity or distance from the truth. So the farther we are away from the truth on something, essentially the more screwed we are. The worse it goes, it's, it, you've got to be close to the truth to actually uh, uh, solve problems or, or avoid problems. And, and even that includes things that feel like out of our, our control. If there's a disease that's on the go in someone's body and they don't know it, that's a problem. That's worse than if a disease is on the go and they know it. At least you can respond to it. You can do something with it. So we're farther away from the truth. And that's true with money as well, which is why I love the, the conversations and dialogues you're creating with all these people about breaking, breaking the silence around money. We, we, you can't get at the truth if there's not a dialogue there. So, so the first is truth. But the other is your proximity or distance from love. And that can show up a lot of ways. In business, it could be simply professional respect. In other relationships, it's the, you know, the more classical version of love. But the farther away we are from, from love, once again, the more screwed we are. The, the worse it goes, it goes bad. And so the only way you get that, that things seem to work out well is when we're very close to the truth and we're very close to, to, to love. So if I think about the diabolical side of things, if I'm using the truth of uh, money is a sign of how many people you've helped, but I'm coming at it from a heart that is a long, long way away from actually wanting to help. It's a long way away from love in that case. But when I bring it close to those two things, you know what? People can tell. They know. You can tell when somebody genuinely wants to serve and help. And frankly, those people are going to make your situation better and money seems to flow more easily there. So the diabolical side of things, when people use it as a cover story, but that is not where their heart is. Mm, that's fascinating. So when you notice this money myth in one of the advisors you're working with or a colleague, sure. um, and it's not serving them, okay? It's a situation where you feel like, mm, this is getting in the way for them. Uh, what advice do you give them or how do you help them kind of move forward? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, so part of it is I usually end up having a bit of a conversation about the brain. Um, because really we're talking about beliefs and beliefs obviously happen in, actually most of our work happens in our brain now. Um, there's not a lot of it that happens in our arms or legs. It's in our, it's in our brains and, and we've got a lot more visibility on what's going on there. And so if you think about a belief or a thought that a person has is first of all, what makes one thought better than another? You know, that alone is, is you start to interrogate that a little bit and look at our thoughts. Really, it tends to come down to does that thought 
generate a predictable result. And so one of the things to look at is what's the predictable result you're getting based on the behaviors, which of course are flowing from thoughts, and seeing if maybe we alter some of those thoughts. And then if we look at, at a belief, really a belief is a repetitive thought with some emotion tied to it. And so starting to, to really look into how well is that serving you? Because really the question is not is it right or wrong, but is it working? Is it serving what you're trying to achieve and is it being done in a way that's respectful or does no harm to others? Um, those are the places to look. And so we want to kind of look at what's what's underneath that and see if you can collapse the foundation of that thought a little bit and give them a new perspective on it. Um, so that that's typically where we go is starting to look at what are the thoughts, what are the beliefs that are there. Like The, the challenge with the belief is this, is that there's a portion of the brain called the reticular activating formation. And, and really, it's the part of the brain that looks for what it's looking for. Right. So, so if you buy a new car, suddenly you see that car everywhere. It's uh, because the brain knows, oh, this is important now. Well, now I, I'm tracking that, even though all those cars were there before. So if I, if I have a belief of money is a sign of how many people I've helped, then that means that my brain is going to start to be attuned to who can I help. Oh, there's a person who needs help. Oh, there needs a person. There's a person who needs help. So you got to look at what's the thought that's there and then what is the brain going to be looking for and ask yourself, is that going to work? Is that going to serve you or not? If you're looking for people who aren't in too bad of a shape, you know, or, or aren't in too bad of financial condition, then, well, I, now I'm looking for a negative. And so the brain doesn't do that very well. I got to look for a positive. Um, it attunes to that faster and easier. So it's, it's kind of pulling apart what's the thinking that's behind it. And then we've got to look at, was there a story behind it that's anchored to a lot of emotion? Because if for me, there is. It, you'd be hard-pressed to move me off that belief, partly because of the story that, that's behind it for me. But the other part is because I feel it works. Now, I also know people, there are people who create evil in the world, and they make a lot of money by burning people. And, uh, and that is a way to make money. It's just, not the, it's just not the way I want to do it. It's like, I guess you could be an arms dealer, but that's just not my gig. Right. And, <laughs> that's right? good to know, like, Chris, now that you're on the yeah. show. <laughs> so does that make sense? No, it absolutely does. And I, I, what I think it, it, that resonates for me, and I think will for the listeners, is the idea that what's the thinking behind it, right? So you have this belief. How does it serve you? How does it get in the way? And, and what's the outcome? And often it's not black and white. Like money is a no. sign of helping, you know, the people you've helped can lead you and motivate motivate you, especially if you're someone that has like a, oh, I don't know if success, you know, people who are successful are greedy or you have some negative connotation about money, that can really help you uh, put a spin on it that is very useful. I can mm -hmm. also see, you know, if the thought behind that is, you know, uh, in order to be a good person, I have to make a lot of money. So it shows that I've helped a lot of people that could be problematic. Um, totally it could. Yeah. So I can, I can see how it's a very similar philosophy to kind of uh, ones that I've had in my book. And, and it's, you know, as we both know, it's kind of uh, cognitive therapy or behavioral change of, okay, so what's the thought? What's the impact of the thought? And then how do you reframe it just in the times where it doesn't serve you, right? Right, um, right. So for the ones who aren't billing, um, it may be, you know, money is a sign of uh, how many people I've helped only if I invoice them. Right. <laughs> and while that's right. not eloquent, uh, eloquent or whatever the word is, it is uh, something that's necessary. So um, I think it's really fascinating what you brought up. And it, it's uh, certainly a myth that we haven't had before. So I really appreciate your input and your insights. Um, what I'd love 
for you to talk a little bit about in the few minutes that we have left is how can listeners find out more about you and more about um, the legacy companies? Oh, sure. Um, so definitely a website's a, an easy place to look. So it's uh, think-legacy.com. And, uh, and we, we've actually just, uh, just made a commitment that we're historically in businesses like ours where it's training and consulting and some coaching work, a lot of the information is, is held back. Once you're a client, then we open up the treasure trove of brilliance and, and, and inflict that on people. But really what we're doing is we're taking a lot of our content and, uh, and just making that freely available to, frankly, advisors or anyone else who wants to, to uh, take a look at what we do. It's, and the reason we're doing that is, is a couple of things. One is we really do want to help. The second is we know that lots of people will read things or listen to things, and they'll get some ideas, but they, we're, we're reluctant to act on things. And there's a ton of reasons why, and there's just some great research that, you know, the odds of a person making material change in their lives are one in nine, and that's even if it's life-threatening. Life like, we're, we're just not wired up to do a lot of change, even though we live in an environment of constant change. So we we just want to give that information, and anybody who wants to... to to use it, go for it. And if you want us to help, uh, and you're a financial advisor, that's our that's our sweet spot. We're happy to do that. Um, the other is I, I'm on Twitter Twitter at at Chris Venn, um, or feel free to connect on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I know having worked uh, with your group a couple years ago that it's a really good team and the advisors that show up are really um, solid people, which doesn't surprise me after this interview. So uh, yeah, thank you. So thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence. Um, I'm Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychologist and author. And as you can tell, I'm dedicated to getting people to talk about money matters. For more information about the podcast or my books or speaking and services, please visit my website at kbkwealthconnection.com. And remember, together we can break money silence forever.